Well, if you would, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. are heavy words to sing this morning. Um, Content whatever lot I see. Well, it's easy to sing, uh, but extremely challenging to live, right? Uh, Whatever circumstances the Lord places us in, being content uh, that he has brought those circumstances to our life for the purpose of our growth and holiness. And uh, those are those are true words, but but tough to uh, tough to get into our, our our hearts and our minds sometimes, right? Well, First Thessalonians chapter 5, and um, this Sunday is always the most challenging Sunday when uh, the congregation has lost each individual an hour of sleep last night. So I'll do my best to, uh, to keep you alert and awake this morning, but please also understand I lost an hour of sleep last night as well, all right? So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work through this together, and um, Lord willing, it'll be a beneficial study for us. I uh, encourage you to pay close attention because this passage we're studying, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 23 to 25, will also be uh, the passage we pray through uh, tonight and then the ladies next week in our prayer groups, uh, pr- praying about the, the role of sanctification in our lives and uh, our need for it. And I will have the questions emailed out this afternoon. Um, but uh, hopefully, we, uh, hopefully we benefit from, from our study of this passage and then our prayer together uh, tonight, and, uh, tonight and next week. Let's begin in uh, verse 12 and read down the context as we have been doing, but we're looking this morning at verses 23 to 25 in our, our final study of, uh, of this book of 1 Thessalonians. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse uh, 23 to 25. I'm just going to make a, qu- a quick comment as we begin. Uh, This morning, as we work through this passage, I'm going to refer to uh, our pursuit of holiness. And I'm also going to refer to the work of sanctification in our lives. But as we do that, I want you to understand that sanctification and holiness, or to sanctify, it's, it's almost a synonymous word in Scripture. Uh, they have as, the, as the, same, the same Greek root word. And so when we talk about sanctification or the p- pursuit of holiness, uh, we're talking about the, the same thing. So I want, to, I want you to keep that in mind as we uh, as work through our study this morning. Okay, now we can go to verse 12 and we'll begin our reading together. Paul says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself 
sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're blessed to be gathered as brothers and sisters in Christ this morning and to open up the truth and to, to hear from you. We're in, we're in dire need of the truth of this passage to remember, Lord, how you are at work in the lives of believers to conform us to the image of your Son, to, to grow us up into Christ's likeness, to, to make us holy. And Lord, there are so many ways, so many ways in which we lack holiness. And so many ways in which we have a casual attitude about holiness and sanctification. So Lord, impress, impress the significance of, of this passage onto our hearts so that we walk away from this place not having just studied another interesting text before us, but that we would be shaped by, by what the Word says this morning. So help us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, just uh, begin with two questions this morning. So how many uh, campers uh, do we have present with us this morning? Uh, you either grew up camping or you, you like to camp and you still camp to this day. All right, can I just see by raise of hands? All right few of you, all right. Okay, how many non-campers do we have present with us uh, who are like, you know, it's fine for other people, but, but there's no way you're dragging me outside to, to sleep in a tent? All right, I just wanted to know who I was going to offend this morning and who I wasn't going to offend uh, with our opening illustration. So I'm reminded of uh, the opening illustration of the book, The Hole in Our Holiness, and the author begins with this. He says this, I never understood the attraction of camping. Although I have plenty of friends and relatives who are avid campers, it's always seemed strange to me that someone would work hard all year so they can go live outside for a week. I get the togetherness stuff, but why do it in tents with community toilets? As an adventure, I sort of understand camping. You strap a backpack on your back and go hike God's creation. Cool. But packing up the van like Noah's Ark and driving to a mosquito-infested campground where you reconstitute an inconvenient version of your kitchen and your bedroom just doesn't make sense. And he asks this question, who decided that vacation should be like normal life, only harder? He goes on to say, I've been largely ignorant of camping my whole life, and I'm okay with that. It's one more thing I don't need to worry about in life. Camping may be great for other people, but I'm content to never talk about it, never think about it, and never do it. Knock yourself out with the cooler and collapsible chairs, but camping is not required of me, and I'm fine without it. Well, then he brings the illustration to a point, and he says this, that holiness is the new camping. He says it's possible you look at personal holiness like I look at camping. It's fine for other people. You sort of respect those who make their lives harder than they have to be. But it's not really your thing. 
You didn't grow up with a concern for holiness. It wasn't something you talked about. It wasn't your, something your family prayed about or your church emphasized. So to this day, it's not your passion. The pursuit of holiness feels like one more thing to worry about in your already impossible life. Sure, it would be great to be a better person, and you do hope to avoid the really big sins, but you figure, since we're saved by grace, holiness is not required of you, and frankly, your life seems fine without it. Now, it's possible this illustration this morning describes you. You think holiness is just an optional second step in the believer's walk that ultimately is sort of inconsequential because you're going to heaven anyway. But then we look at the scriptures more closely and we realize that that holiness is a, a primary purpose for which we have been saved. Right, if you were to dive into Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, he looks back in eternity past. Now just grasp that. He looks back in eternity past and he says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and then he says this, to be conformed to the image of his Son. Or in other words, it was his eternal plan that those who were foreknown and predestined, well, that they would be conformed into the holiness of Jesus Christ. We were saved to become holy. Now, I begin with these thoughts this morning because this is the focus of our passage in verses 23 through 25. Paul brings this warm and personal letter to a conclusion with a prayer that the, Thess- that the Thessalonians, uh, that, that God would make them completely holy or, or sanctified, as he uses here in this text. It's not a mere hope that some of the Thessalonians who are interested will pursue holiness while the others can sort of live life as they, as they deem. Rather, this is a prayer for all of the believers in this church and by implication for you and for me today. Now, before we get into this passage this morning, I want to I point out some things about the context and about sanctification or holiness uh, that, that are in this passage that are important for us to notice. Okay? I want you to first notice that this entire section Uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, is is bookended by an emphasis on sanctification. Okay, so the first first three chapters of of this book are are really a a set of warm pastoral remarks where Paul is is talking about the relationship between himself and the Thessalonian believers. Okay, he he regrets that he was so quickly removed because of persecution, and, and yet he rejoices because they've remained so faithful in spite of the persecution that, that's, been, that's been heated up uh, against them. Okay? So the first three chapters are, are all this conversation of, of warm reflections between Paul and this church of Thessalonians. Then in the final two chapters, chapter 4 and chapter 5, Paul turns to begin giving this church instructions for their, their walk with Christ. We might say that chapter 4 and chapter 5 are the meat of this, of this letter. And he begins chapter 4 with a call to holiness or sanctification. So pick up in in chapter 4 and verse 3. And notice his call for sanctification in in these early verses of chapter 3. He says this, For this is the will of God. And then he says what? Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each one of you know how to control his own body in, he says, 
holiness. He goes on in chapter, verse 5 to say, not in the passions of lust like Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress or wrong his brother in the matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you before, and has solemnly warned you. Then he says this, verse 7. For God has not called you to impurity, but holiness. And then just when you think he's done talking about holiness, he goes on to say in verse 8, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that produces holiness in our lives. So this is how this section begins, with, a, with an emphasis and a call to personal holiness and, and sanctification. Now you skip to the, the other end of the passage, chapter 5 and verse 23, and we see that as Paul brings this section to, to a close, that he prays for sanctification of these believers, right? Verse, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Okay, so this whole section is bookended by an emphasis on sanctification. But notice something else about this, okay? In chapter 4 and verse 3, the emphasis is on our role and responsibility in sanctification. Okay, so in in verse 3, particularly, it's that you abstain from sexual immorality. But we might go on to say that that all of the instructions given in chapter 4 and chapter 5 are emphasizing our responsibility in sanctification. So he goes on to talk about love. In chapter 5, he goes on to talk about submission to to, to leaders and not retaliating. And he mentions all of these things. We might say that those are the, the believer's duty or responsibility in sanctification. But then in chapter 5, verse 23, he's no longer talking about the role or responsibility that believers have in sanctification. In, in chapter 5, verse 23, he's going to emphasize God's role in the sanctification process. And he does this in the form of a prayer. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So this is, this is God's role. This is God's part in the sanctification process. Now, both our role and God's role are essential for Christian growth. And if we miss one, then, 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 or, we, or we maybe we, we overemphasize one to the neglect of the other, then our growth can be stunted and we can be misinformed about how growth happens. So, so both of these aspects, God's role and our role, are, are vital in this process of sanctification. But it's, as we'll see in this passage, one makes the other possible. Okay? His sanctifying work in our hearts enables us to pursue sanctification. We'll, we'll unpack that thought in, in just a few minutes. Now, notice how chapter 5 unfolds, and, and I want to show you the question that it answers in chapter 5, okay? So, so as, we, as we said, we go through this chapter 4 and chapter 5, and, and there, there's this emphasis on sanctification and the believer's responsibility to, to pursue sanctification. So, so they are to, to avoid sexual immorality, they're to love one another, to submit to pastors, they're to abstain from retaliation, they're to be constantly rejoicing, always praying, giving thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God. But then you get all the way down to, to, to verse 23, right? So all these commands after command after command. You get all the way down to 20, 23, and you might ask this question. Okay, so here's all the commands, so how is it possible? How is it possible that believers can, can keep these things and give themselves to this process of sanctification? And quite honestly, when we examine ourselves and we look at who we are, the, the prospect seems quite bleak, does it not? 
like left up to ourselves, sanctification is probably going to happen at, at, at a very, very slow and, and, and um, hindered rate. So then chapter 5 and verse 23 then answers this question. How is it that sanctification is possible? And here it is. Well, the God of peace is at work to sanctify you. And not only that, he will be faithful to complete the task he began. All right, so this is how this text sort of unfolds. This is the grand conclusion, chapter 5, verse 23. This, this, this blessing or prayer that Paul makes for the Thessalonian believers. Now, as we unpack these verses, let's notice four things about them. Okay? First of all, let's notice the source of sanctification. Okay, the source of sanctification. So Paul begins this letter with a prayer for sanctification, these believers, and he directs the prayer to God, who is the one who makes all of this possible, who has the ability to carry it out to its intended goal. Right? So notice in verse 23 he says this. He says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you. Now let's start with the, the title that he gives to God. He refers to him as the God of peace peace. And what Paul's likely doing is he is, he is showing us that, that it's the God who brings peace through the gospel who enables us to pursue sanctification, right? So you'll remember this, there are a lot of passages in scripture that emphasize the peace that comes through salvation, and this is, this is likely another one. Chapter five, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says something similar. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So when we, when, we, when we enter this world, we enter the world in a broken and hostile relationship with God because of, because of original sin. And we continue our days in rebellion and sin in, in, in living, living for ourselves. And this was the case with the Thessalonian believers, right? You remember back in chapter 1 and verse 9 where Paul commends them when he heard the word that they, that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, okay? They had come into this world just as you and I did, living for ourselves, worshiping the things of this world, the gods of this world, before our eyes were opened to the beauty of the gospel. And once our eyes were opened and we believed in the the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to this earth and lived the sinless life that we couldn't live and died the sacrificial death that we deserved to die and then rose again, when we heard this message... And believed in this message, well, it brought us from a, from a hostile relationship to one of, of a peaceful relationship with the living God. And as we, as we look at this particular passage, we have to emphasize this truth this morning. It's this relationship of, of peace with God that now makes it possible for us to pursue holiness. Right? If, you're to, if you're to come here this morning, and maybe you're not a Christian, you're just sort of an interested observer in Christianity, we can't jump right into this passage of, of pursuing holiness if we haven't first addressed one's relationship with God. Right? You come in the door, so to speak, first before you walk down the path to, f- to follow Christ in holiness. Okay? We don't pursue holiness in order to earn God's favor, but rather when God changes our life and we come to, to, to Him in salvation then we begin to walk on this path of 
of, of holiness. And so what Paul's emphasizing here is that God is the, the source through, through granting us peace. He's the source of, of this sanctification. That's why Paul prays to, to him that God would sanctify us completely. Now, as clear as this may be in the Bible, we sometimes think that sanctification is entirely up to you and me. As if, like, God did his part in salvation, and now sanctification is me pulling myself up by my bootstraps, giving it my best, and and trying to live a holy life in spite of the, the many obstacles. But that's not what we have here. Here, God is pictured as the the source of sanctification. Paul prays to the God of peace himself that he will sanctify. And then in verse 24, he says, he will surely do it. So so to be clear, we're responsible, and and, and God is involved in, in the process. But it's God who accomplishes this work in us as we give ourselves to the task of sanctification. So let me, let me show you this in a couple of other different passages where we'll highlight God's role in the sanctification process. So start in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And look at verse, verses 12 and 13. Paul in this passage is, is again, calling these believers to holiness or sanctification. The way he words it in verse 12 is that they would work out their own salvation. But he says this in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Give Give it effort. Give it everything you've got. But then he goes on to say this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so, <clears throat> so you, you give it everything you've got. You pursue holiness. But, no, but know this, brothers, that it's God who is at work in you both to will or, or to desire, to even desire to pursue holiness, to, to will or to wish is the way that verb could be translated, to will and to, to actually do the work of sanctification. So we're enabled by God's grace to, to pursue sanctification. All right? Another passage would be 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Where Paul be, or Peter begins with these instructions, he says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of the desires. Then he goes on to say this in verse 5. For this very reason, then, make every effort. But the only reason we can make every effort is because of what we see in verses 3 and 4. Because his divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Okay, it's his work that enables our work 
in sanctification. The, the last passage, you, know, you don't have to turn there, but, but I'll, I'll just uh, highlight Titus chapter 2. And in Titus chapter 2 and verses uh, 11 and 12, he says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Okay, so the grace of God appears. And what does it do, verse 12? Well, it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, upright and godly lives in this present age. Okay? It's, it's the work of God's grace in our life that enables us to pursue holiness. Okay? So, this, this, is, this is God's role in the sanctification process. He is the source. He is the one that enables sanctification to happen in our lives. There are really there are like two errors that can happen or two ditches that we can fall in when it comes to sanctification. The one ditch we might call no effort, and the other the other ditch we might say is is self effort. Okay, the ditch of no effort is like, well, God does the work, He's got it all, so I just sit back, I let go, and I let God. Okay, that's not what we find in Scripture. Nor is the the ditch of self effort where I I, I I depend entirely on myself and I forget that God's even involved in the process. But what we see the biblical pattern is that God is at work in and through us to change us, and he does so through our responsible participation. I like the way John Owen sums it up when he says this, God works in us and with us, not against us or without us. The Puritan Henry Scogel illustrates it this way. He says, all the art and industry of man cannot from the smallest plant or cannot form the smallest plant, or make a stalk of corn grow in the field. It is the energy of nature and the influences of heaven which produce this effect. It is God who causes the grass to grow. And yet nobody will say that the efforts of the farmer are useless or unnecessary. Okay, so the labors of the farmer are significant, but it's ultimately God that brings the, brings the growth. And it's the same for our holiness, okay? Our efforts are not in vain or unimportant, but it's God who's at work in us to produce sanctification as the source of it. So, let me just stop here and and maybe just come down with some application for for a moment, okay? Since this, this, this is the case, before we put in the effort for sanctification, we have to draw on the grace of God in our relationship with God. That every morning and through the day and at the end of the day, we recognize that any pursuit of holiness is only empowered by our connection to the source of holiness. So we come every day on our knees to to God that that we would be equipped to, to live this day in a way that pleases the Lord. For without Him, it is impossible. And then, I think when we come to the end of the day and we've seen successes, we recognize that God has been the source of those. So we don't get to the end of the day and go, look what I've done. We say, by the grace of God, I've accomplished this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Okay, so God is the source of sanctification. That's the first thing we see in this passage. The second thing we see in this passage is the goal of sanctification. The goal of sanctification. Okay, so the source of, the, uh, source of sanctification is the God of peace. 
But now the goal of sanctification is picked up in, in the next phrase of this, this verse. Okay? It says in 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the goal. Complete sanctification, that our whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Okay? There are really two ideas here, and they, they build on each other. Okay? The first thing we see is that the goal of sanctification is that it would extend to every aspect of our personhood. Okay, that's the first thing we'll see. And the second thing we'll see is that the goal of sanctification results in, in, in blamelessness at the return of, of Christ. Okay? So let's look at the first one first. Okay? The goal of sanctification is that it would extend to every aspect of my personhood. So notice the first part of the verse again. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. Now don't be confused on the word completely. There are many who have taught that the fully consecrated believer can come to the place in their life where they're so sanctified that they never sin again. They reach a state of sinless perfection. As much as we'd like to be there, and I'd like to be there, I think we know this is both true, not from, both from our experience and from the Scriptures. Okay? What this passage is explaining here is, is not that we become complete in the sense that we, we, um, we, become, we, we reach sinless perfection, but rather what is, what is happening here is that this phrase is being explained, or it's explained in the next phrase, that our whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. In other words, what it means to be completely sanctified in this verse is that sanctification touches every aspect of our life. It's not relegated to, to just certain aspects of life, but it's complete in that it touches all aspects of our lives. One commentator says something to this effect. There's little difference in this verse between the words completely and, and whole, or the whole mind, soul, and, and body. And the point is that sanctification should extend to every part of our personhood. So we don't become completely sinless, but rather sanctification touches every aspect of who we are. Now, allow me just to touch on, a, on an issue for, for a moment, because Paul here refers to the fact that we want to be sanctified completely, that our whole, and he says this, that our spirit, our soul, and our body be kept blameless. And theologians have debated through the years uh, as to whether man is made up of a body, soul, and spirit, three parts, or whether man is made up of just a, a body and, and a soul. And as you look through, the, through Scripture, you see different, different uh, wording and different uh, emphases uh, throughout. So for, so, for example, 1 Corinthians 7.34, Paul refers to man... Uh, how to be holy in body and spirit, he says. There he refers to man in two aspects. Jesus, you remember, he says in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who can kill the body, but can kill the soul, rather fear, but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, so Jesus seems to refer to man in two parts. Mark 12, 30, Jesus says this, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
and with all your mind and with all your strength. Wait, have we added like a new category now? Man's made up in four parts, okay? Uh, Maybe, I don't know. Uh, If man is composed of three parts, I'm really not sure what the difference is between the soul and the spirit. Some say the the spiritual capacity is is different from the soul and that it it allows man to relate to God where his soul is just his his ability to think or reason as, as a person. Wherever people come down on this particular issue, I would just caution this. It's tough to really say what the differences are so we shouldn't overemphasize them. Some, some counseling movements have gotten into some weird things where they, they really talk about the spirit and the soul and, and, and do different things with them. And I should just caution us that the scriptures are not that clear, so nor should we overemphasize this particular point. In our text, the point is this, that sanctification should be complete and entire, touching every area of our life, both our inner man and our outer man, or our, our physical body. That no part of life goes untouched by sanctification. It seems, however, that you and I are often content to sort of compartmentalize in this process of sanctification. We're okay with some aspects of our life being holy, but then there are other aspects of our life we'd really like to keep out of, from underneath the lordship of, of Christ. I think this was the case in 1 Corinthians with the Corinthian church in chapter 6 as Paul had to rebuke them for their sexual immorality. And they were like, what? What's, what's the big deal, Paul? Okay? And they were going, the f- food is for the body and the body for food. And so the sexual urges are the same way. Sex is for the body and the body is for sex. It really doesn't matter. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Your entire personhood, both body and, and soul, material and immaterial, has been bought with a price, and you have the responsibility to glorify God in your body, in your personhood, in your inner and outer man. Have you ever received word that someone is stopping by shortly and you have little time to prepare? Now, this doesn't stress me out at all, but there are others in my house that, uh, that, it, does, that it does stress, Okay? There's not time to do the thorough cleaning to give the impression that no one lives there, okay? But you want to give that impression that no one lives there. So what do you do in those, in those moments, right? When, when someone's coming by shortly, you, you take all the things that are out and you, you stuff them in some room or some drawer or, or some closet or some place where no one is going to find them. And you're satisfied, at least in, in, the, in, the, in the moment, that, that they think that no one lives in your house. Okay, sometimes we're like this in our pursuit of holiness. We know we're not perfect, but there are a lot of other areas of our life that that are clean and and good, and so we we think we somehow are doing okay because these other areas are fine. But, But doing well in one area does not justify doing poorly or sinning in another area. Like Christ didn't save us to renovate part of the house. Okay? He saved us to renovate the, the whole entire thing. And so what we don't want is this partial sanctification. We want the whole of our being to be sanctified. We want every aspect, the way we think, the way we respond, the words we use, the, the, the food we eat and drink, and, and what we do with our body. Okay? He's in the process of transforming all of it. And he's not satisfied, nor should we be, 
with just a little bit of holiness. So let me ask you this question. What areas in your life are unaffected by the work of sanctification? Just think about that. What areas in my life do, do I want to keep separate from God's work of sanctifying me? Okay, someone once described to me, and I hope this is accurate, but the, the way that the, the control of the Holy Spirit works, it's when Paul commands us to be filled with the Spirit. It's not that we're overflowed with a, a bubbling sense of like a, 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 a cup of coffee or something like that that overflows, but rather being filled with the Spirit is this idea of in, in a house, we are opening up the rooms and, and letting the Holy Spirit have access in all these aspects of our life that we're, we're filled in, in that sense. And what we don't want is to have areas that are closed off to the work of God in our heart. So when Paul prays, may the God of peace sanctify you completely, he's saying, no areas untouched by sanctification, that it has its full effect. The result then, he says, is that we would be blameless at the return of Christ. And that doesn't mean sinless, okay? It's the word blameless here in, in chapter, or in verse 23. It's used only one other time in the New Testament, and that's in chapter 2 and verse 10, where Paul says, You are witnesses in God also how holy, righteous, and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Paul's not saying we were, we were sinless among you, but we were above reproach, we were innocent, we had a clear conscience. Okay, we never get to this point where, where we reach sinless perfection. I mean, even the mature apostle Paul said, for I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We will continue to sin as long as we are alive in this body. But Lord willing, as we grow up into maturity, that we begin to live with a, a level of, of being above reproach or live with a clear conscience in the way that we, we interact with, with one another. And this seems to be what Paul's speaking here. Okay, you're pursuing holiness so that you're blameless at the return of Jesus Christ. So the event, Paul says here, that brings salvation into focus is the return of Christ. This is what they're, they're looking ahead to. This is what Paul's looking ahead to. So, so when Christ returns, you'll be found blameless. Notice Paul's goal is not that they just be blameless for a little while or make it through this window of persecution blameless so that they get through this particular trial blameless. But, but here's the goal. They're looking ahead, and that's, that's the goal of sanctification. The goal of sanctification is to be blameless when Christ returns. Okay, that is, that is the purpose. There's something about the return of Christ that brings everything else in our life into perspective. Okay, the things we think are so important now, when we look at them in light of eternity and Christ's return, they're just not as important. The, the sin that we cling so tightly to, when we look at that in relationship to the etern- return of Christ, well, we become motivated no longer to hold on to those things. See, the, the return of Christ it changes our pursuit of holiness. 
Right? People talk about if, if you, if you want to have a, if you want to reach a particular goal, then the way in which you, you do so is to work backwards. Okay, here's where you want to, to be. So now work backwards as to how you get there. So Paul holds out as this goal that the return of Christ, that they would be blameless at the return of Christ. Okay, so then how does that now impact the way that I live? What changes in my life now in light of the fact that I want to be blameless when Christ returns? So this is Paul's prayer, that he would work in these believers to accomplish complete sanctification and blamelessness at the return of Christ. Well, this brings us then thirdly to the assurance of sanctification. Okay, we've seen the source, we've seen the goal, and now we see the assurance of sanctification. As we read verse 23, I think we're stuck by the weight, struck by the weightiness of verse 23. That this is what God is doing in our lives. He is sanctifying us completely, body, soul, spirit, to be blameless at the day of Christ. Okay, this is what he's doing in us. But sometimes our experience feels so different, doesn't it? Okay, this is what Paul is praying and promising that the Lord is doing. We're like, man, but what I'm feeling is struggle and hardship and barely making it to the pursuit of, of holiness. So what Paul does in verse 24 is he gives us this assurance. And he says this, He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. That's quite a statement, isn't it? When we feel like sanctification is unattainable, well, yeah, in and of ourselves it is unattainable, but we serve a faithful God who calls us and enables us to pursue holiness. Now, this, this reminds you of other passages, does it not? Verse 24. Remember Philippians chapter 1, verse 6? And I'm sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It also reminds us of Romans chapter 8, verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So God's in this process of of not just saving us and leaving us, but saving us and and bringing us all the way home faithful to Christ. And verse 24 here is very similar to that. Okay, he says that he who calls you is faithful. And when he uses that word call in in, in verse 24 here, that is synonymous with the idea of God's sovereign work in, in saving us. So just as just as Philippians chapter 1, 6 says that he began the good work, and just as Romans chapter 8, verse 30 says that those whom he predestined, he also called, here we have the same idea that, that when God calls somebody, he's sovereignly bringing them or drawing them to salvation. Right? Remember this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 and 24. He says this, For the Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, he says, and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
calling in this particular context, in this salvation context, is not just a general call, but it's an effectual call. That, that, that it's effective in that it brings people to Christ when the Spirit calls them in salvation. John 6, uses the word draw, but Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So when we look at verse 24, what we have here is this effectual call. That those who are called by the Lord in his sovereign grace, will also be sanctified. The work he begins, he will also complete. This is, in other words, just another way of saying Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Now, how can we be sure that this is all going to happen? How can we be sure that we're going to be sanctified? And there's one word in this verse that Paul strongly emphasizes in verse 24, and it is the word faithfulness. Okay? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It's interesting if you look in other Scripture passages and you talk about the, the, the role of sanctification for the believer and you talk about the struggle to live holy one of the characteristics of God that stands at the front of, of, of all the other characteristics as we pursue holiness is the faithfulness of God. Let me, let me just show you a couple of these, okay? So you're familiar with, with 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, the classic verse on temptation. The, the struggle that we have to, 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 to face temptation and to live in holiness and to live rightly. Remember, remember what he says here? He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But then he says this, God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So how is it that we make it to holiness and and blameless before the day of Christ? It's the faithfulness of God and in his work and temptation to provide us a way of escape. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says this, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So the protection that the believer has to walk through this life in the desire and pursuit of holiness, it's the faithfulness of the Lord who guards and keeps and protects his children. And then in those many, many events when we do stumble and we do fall and we do sin, what's held up as the characteristics of God? His, his faithfulness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's interesting here that Paul says as we're pursuing sanctification, the one characteristic of God that we can cling to in these moments is the faithfulness of God. He will sanctify us. He will protect us. He will guard us and keep us. And when we do fall, the faithfulness of our loving God is there to forgive us as well. So it's the faithfulness of God that, that, that undergirds this pursuit of, of sanctification and, 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 and assures us that it will come to fruition. So in that day when Christ returns or calls us home, We'll not look at our own lives and conclude, hey, we made it. 
It was tough, but I, but I did it, you know. No, we'll be like, look at the faithfulness of God who by his grace carried me all the way home. Now, lastly, we've seen the source of sanctification, the goal, the assurance of sanctification. But now let's finish with a verse that I'm not entirely sure is connected to this, but we'll, we'll connect it anyway. And that's verse 25. We see the request for sanctification. So, so notice how the verse, this, this finishes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect verses 25, or verse 25 to verses 24 and 23. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless the coming of the Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Brothers, pray for us. Now, some commentators connect verse 25 to the previous, and I, I, I think I agree with them. Because here's what I think Paul's saying. Brothers, here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your sanctification. And here's what I'm asking for you. We need you to turn around and pray for us as well, that the God of peace himself would sanctify us completely, and that we would stand blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that this is all packed in to the context of a prayer. It's surprising, isn't it, that this is what Paul prays for? I was thinking, thinking recently about how prayer has morphed, it seems like, over the centuries. That if you were to ask someone today, how can you pray for them? And they responded like this. Well, pray for me that the God of peace would sanctify me completely, body, soul, and spirit. You would be like, well, that's awkward. Okay, I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. All right? You would think, well, what's wrong with them? What big sin are they just about to commit that they need prayer for God to sanctify them completely and at the coming of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ? And then you're thinking, they're probably ready to do something really bad and so that we should pray for their sanctification. But because it's awkward, we're like, well, do you have something more specific maybe I could pray for? Maybe, maybe a cold that you're getting over, or uh, maybe you know someone who knows someone who knows someone else who is related to someone else who is about to have an abscess tooth surgery, and we could, we could pray for that. That would seem a little more relevant and, and important, and we could we just pray for that, right? It, it would feel strange in today's culture of prayer to say, what we need prayer for is an entire and complete sanctification, that, that no aspect of my life is kept out from, from the work of sanctification. It would seem awkward, but, but listen. That is likely the most pressing concern in the life of every believer. Yeah, we've got physical things going on. Yeah, we've got trials. But man, what we, what we really need is that we would pray for the holiness of, of God's people. Because we're always facing the temptation to sin, the temptation to lust, the temptation to react in anger, to respond poorly to a trial, to believe what the world is telling us, to, to throw in the towel. And we need prayer that God would work in our lives to pursue holiness. And that that pursuit would not be limited to certain areas of our life, but, but would touch every area of our life. 
And you know how I know this is the most pressing need for a pressing prayer request for, for each one of us? It's because it's the most pressing area or in, in need for prayer in my own life. I don't think I'm unique. Okay, you might think I'm unique, but I don't think I'm unique in this regard. This is what we need. We need prayer for one another that we would grow up into holiness and that there would be no areas that we keep back from the lordship of Christ. We need to plead with God on behalf of one another that we all would pursue holiness. And we're uncomfortable praying like this because it's not safe. It's biblical, but it's not safe. It causes us to come out of our comfort zone to offer these kinds of prayers for one another. So I haven't handed out the questions tonight for men's prayer group. But this is where we're going, right? How can we pray for one another that there would be no areas that we keep back from the, from the Lord's work of sanctification in our life? This is what you need. This is what I need. And this is what every believer needs, that God would sanctify them completely. All right, so let's... Let's all go camping, all right? Let's all go camping. Not, not just the people who are comfortable with it and like a hard life and like the inconvenience of it, but let's all do this together, okay? Let's, let's all pursue holiness because this is why Christ has saved us. It's not just an optional second step. He who has called us is faithful, and he will surely do this. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for what we've learned in this passage. And we recognize that left up to ourselves, sanctification would not happen. But by your grace and your enabling and the the work of the Spirit, will you produce things in us we could have never imagined. You produce responses in us that are not natural. You produce in us softness and tenderness and forgiveness when others sin against us. You, you produce a change in desire so that we turn from the things we previously loved away to, to love new things. Habits and things we are enslaved to, by your grace, we, we change. It's not us, but it's all a work of you and your faithfulness. So Lord, before we go through the efforts of of pursuing holiness and trying to, to, to do our part. Let us draw on you and your grace every day, every moment of every day, so that we might be equipped to fight the battles ahead. We ask your blessing on what's said this morning. In Christ's name.